The following episode contains discussions on topics such as suicide and LGBTQ discrimination that may be considered disturbing or upsetting to some audiences. Listener discretion is advised. Welcome to the DE Talk podcast. Tune in for dialogue between HR experts to amp up your HR strategies. Don't worry, we'll mix in a few laughs as we know you need it. Words have power, and magic happens when those powerful words are woven into superior storytelling featuring relatable lived experiences. Samantha Smith is an internationally awarded public speaker, author, first responder, and LGBTQIA plus activist who is such a story that motivates and inspires those around her. So much so that when she entered into the 2021 Toastmasters International World Championship of Public Speaking, she placed in the top 28 of 40,000 plus speakers for her impactful, courageous speech last call. We first became aware aware of Samantha's story when she was featured in a Texas LGBT Chamber of Commerce newsletter. And after we connected, we knew we had to share her, her journey and inspiring message with others. Let's dive in and get started. Sam, welcome to the DE Talk podcast. We are so happy to have you join us today. Oh, goodness. With that intro, I feel like I, uh, I certainly have a lot to live up to, but <laughs> I am excited to be here with you all. I, I appreciate the opportunity to get to uh, chat a little bit with you. So yeah, I'm, I'm ready to go. Well, and we're excited because in this podcast, you will also found, find uh, the last call video that we are adding to this podcast. So people listen to that uh, as well. So that's that's awesome. So I think people need that's to That's amazing. Attention. Yep, we're pretty excited about that too. So see, I want you to share a little bit about your backstory. It's, it's my understanding that you were a former police officer on the East Coast and then in Texas. And- mm-hmm. You know, first and foremost, thank you for everything you've done and, and the sacrifices uh-huh. you've made. Um, second, why don't you share a little bit about your experience as an LGBT police officer? Yeah, absolutely. So, uh, first of all, it's truly my pleasure to have had the opportunity to serve. Uh, you're, you're spot on. I started my career in law enforcement in Northern Virginia, right outside of Washington, D.C., for a pretty larger department. And I'll say there, I wasn't actually out when I started. I was still married to a man. I I was married to the gentleman that I went to high school with and had a child with. And so, but there were people within the ranks, uh, within higher ranks, uh, captains, lieutenants, and so on and so forth, that were out. And I can remember thinking as my life was kind of changing, I did come out while I was still at that department towards the end of my time there, that it felt good to know that there was a safe space for folks like me in leadership positions. Definitely made a huge difference for me. And then when I transitioned and moved down to Texas, uh, where I currently (laughs) reside, that was a little bit different. Uh, I served for about two years in Texas before an injury took me out of law enforcement ultimately. But uh, definitely a different world here in Texas in in being a uh, somebody who looks like me, somebody who's not shy to say I'm married to another woman happily. Uh, it was it was a different atmosphere. There certainly wasn't any uh, out people in, at my specific department, at least. I worked for a smaller department. Uh, so that, that, was, that was a little bit different, certainly a little bit different here in Texas. But uh, but yeah, it was, it was a great experience. Uh, nonetheless, either way, it was it was an honor to be able to serve in, in both departments. Well, you, you are certainly right. Location plays a big 
deal in in whether oh. or not you're accepted <laughs> in various environments you know and i, I i'm a strong proponent of bringing your whole self to work and you mm. know, and as we were talking before you know diversity is applicable to all types of people you know i i my favorite yeah. saying is it takes all types to fill a freeway you know <laughs> i mean it, it, <laughs> yeah. it's kind of my favorite yeah. little saying but you know I think we all need to stop being judgmental, you know, and so it's it's yeah. good to hear you speak positively about your experience. But let me ask you, have you ever experienced any discrimination at any point during during your career? Yeah, so, uh, wow. So when I was actually down in Texas, it, it's funny, whenever anybody asks these questions, I always have to take a deep breath because <laughs> every time I speak to it, it, it just, it brings forth emotions, right? It, everything sure. is tied. To emotions, and so I had. I did have an experience, unfortunately, uh, at the department in Texas, where I actually I was I was working midnight shift. It was about two o'clock in the morning, and I was uh, just driving around, and I saw this person in the middle of the road, just kind of doing circles. You know, it kind of <laughs> caught me off guard. So I I radioed in, "Hey, here's my location. I'm going to mark out with this individual and just check on them because they're again in the middle of the road at two o'clock in the morning." And kind of um, <laughs> you know, I'll give you the yeah, a little odd, right? A little that's a clue in law enforcement, as we would call it. Uh, so, you know, I, I didn't want to make too much of it, but you know, I, Hey, let me check out and find out what's going on. So to give you the, the short winded story of, of, you know, what went on for a little bit, uh, I marked out and ended up talking to the individual and I was, I had asked for backup before I really asserted what the heck was going on with him. And I could see, you know, we have a screen that tells us where our fellow officers are and I could see where the other officers were and, uh, it ended up another local jurisdiction marked out with me. And I didn't think anything of it at that time because sometimes they're nearby, they hear it, they'll just stop by and check in with you. Right. So after we got done dealing with this individual, it ended up being okay. He was just, he, he hadn't taken his medication. And so we, we got that taken care of with his uh, family member and everything was all good to go. And when I got back in my car, I realized that my other officers were in the exact same spot they were when I called out asking for backup. Hmm. And I, I remember, yeah, yeah, exactly. Those were my thoughts. And so I remember having that moment of, well, did something happen? You know, and I, I almost started making excuses for them. Like, oh, they must have not heard me or <laughs> um, they must have been doing something else. And, you know, so often we make excuses for others instead of holding them accountable. And I realized when I went back into a roll call that next morning as we were, you know, finishing up our shift, uh, there was some political stuff on the news and I overheard conversations that made it very clear why my backup didn't come for me that day. And uh, I ultimately <clears throat> ended up switching shifts and I, you know, I'm grateful to say nothing major happened as a result of that. But, you know, in those moments, it, it really hits home of when we're wearing the same badge and the same uniform, it should not matter what color my skin is, what I look like, who I love, what happens behind closed doors, because at the end of the day, when we're going in, we're going in together, right? And we have exactly. to be able to rely on each other. And, and I couldn't do that with them. And so, yeah, that was one specific instance that uh, was very directed towards, you know, them just not backing me simply because they didn't agree with my choice and Your who lifestyle. I love, as they call it. <clears throat> yeah, you know, absolutely. And, and it's kind of like, you know, you're, you're taking you take an oath, I think, to serve and protect and doctors take an oath to do no harm, you know, and, and yeah. gosh, yeah. you know, I mean, it's one of those things that that's really doing their job, you know, doesn't matter 
what your personal preferences are, you know, so. Yeah, I mean, in the, in the perfect world, in the perfect world, those oaths would ring true and people would abide by them regardless of their preconceived feelings or opinions. Unfortunately, you and I both know that's not the truth and it goes across, you know, whether it's law enforcement, first responders, doctors, lawyers, judges, anybody who takes an oath of some sort, mm-hmm. uh, we know that it just doesn't always, they're not always able to uphold that oath due to their own, you know, again, filters that they bring forth uh, to the day in day life, which is bad and it's unfortunate. Yeah, it, it really is. Well, let me ask you, um, walk me through an experience. I'm sure you've probably experienced this um, when you are getting up in the morning, getting ready for work. Do you ever, or did you ever have that dreadful feeling that, oh gosh, I have to go into work and I I don't like not being accepted? Wow. Yeah. Um, So I'll I'll say this. I can't say in overall because I I do try to live in a positive light. I I try to wake up on the right side of the bed, as they call it, as cliche as it is. You know, I I do try to set myself off with success in mind to start and and let the day bring that down, you know. Uh, Try to start at 100% and, you know, hopefully we end somewhere in the 80s. But but truth of the matter is, there's there's certainly those moments, right? Um, I'll say that (laughs) there were several times where I would go to calls and have to go inside someone's home and I could tell, I could feel the judgment, right? You could just feel the energy in the room. You could feel that tension. uh, And you kind of think to yourself, I'm putting myself on the line for this, right? Right. I'm I'm risking (laughs) my life for this. I'm leaving my family. I'm literally kissing them goodbye and and praying and hoping that I come home at the end of shift for this. (laughs) And and it's it's sometimes a hard pill to swallow, right? It it really is. But I... But I think at the end of the day, uh, for me, at least personally, you know, that ability to, uh, you know, what I call, I always use the analogy of, of cracking the door, right? So uh, the ability to maybe crack the door a little bit for somebody to see just something that says, hmm, that was interesting. Maybe I should think about this differently. Or maybe I should look at this differently. Or maybe I shouldn't be so judgmental uh, because this person came and, helped me in this moment. And although I don't agree necessarily with uh, who they love or what they look like or how they identify or any of the other classifications that are out there, um, they're still here and they're helping me. And we don't have to necessarily be on the same page for that to be okay. And so that was always the way I looked at it. Even those negative moments, I really tried to pull it positive. So I'll say, you know, I think every day I woke up with the intention of hopefully even if I had that, that negativity in my mind of trying to turn that around and say, you know, maybe I can make a little bit of a positive impact on somebody uh, today. And, and that's, you know, that was how I kept myself from becoming a, a cold and, and cynical person. I'll, I'll say that much. So it, well, it worked. Isn't it amazing how a positive attitude can affect so many other parts of your life? You know, it, oh, goodness. Yeah. yeah you know, and, and it's too bad more people don't keep a positive outlook on things. I, yeah. <laughs> it, it really does make a difference. And we kind of call that when you say just like cracking the door, we call it kind of the camel's nose under the tent, you know, kind of get a feel yeah, for what's yeah. going on. So um, after your law enforcement career ended, you decided to, to transition um, into corporate America. Yeah. <laughs> and, then, and then you got involved in a local Toastmasters chapter. And, and what I had told you, I, I did that way back when, when I was – 
young and actually in my first job out of college. And boy, did I learn a lot. Uh-huh. So there's a lot to unpack there. Why don't you uh, tell me a little bit <laughs> about your transition into to corporate America and and um, actually one of the things that we really focus on here is culture and trying to help our member companies when they're trying to hire individuals how do you showcase your culture so when you were searching for jobs were you focused on finding an employer that was lgbtq friendly or you know did you focus on the job and it didn't matter what company it was how did you decide yeah yeah so uh let me unpack a little bit of that so certainly transitioning from law enforcement to what we would call a civilian job was <laughs> scary. Uh, sure. Was that was that was a really dark point in my life because the injury forced me out of what I thought I would do for the rest of my life. And so, uh, you know, it, it really was a trying time of me understanding like my purpose and and how do I continue to serve and yeah, there was there was a lot that I had to kind of unpack within that transition, but. Uh, in that, specifically to what you asked, it, it's funny that you asked that because I remember having a conversation with my wife and saying, I really want to find somewhere that I'm comfortable, mm-hmm. especially being in Texas. I, you know, I'm not originally from Texas. I'm originally from Brooklyn, New York. And so oh, very different, different. <laughs> very different worlds. And uh, while I, uh, you know, I respect location has a lot to do with it. Um, I'm also cognizant that I have some control over it. And so when I, when I started the transition into the corporate world, I said, this is important. I want to make sure that I find somewhere that I can be accepted. You know, I don't want to be walking in and them sit calling me sir on my first day. Exactly. And, and I've dealt with that so many times. And so I, I, was, I was on, you know, just the job, normal job searching websites. And I'll never forget, I was looking at some jobs. And uh, the job I ended up taking, I scrolled to the bottom. And you know where it'll always say, like, we do not discriminate against uh, you <laughs> the know, status. Yeah. Age. Yeah, there you go. There you go. I'm sure you're familiar with it. Oh, yeah. <laughs> this one said, this one literally said sexual orientation or gender, gender identity. identity. And then it had a little, it had a little LGBT tag there. And I was like, what? And I, <laughs> I can recall, like, I can literally see the moment that I was sitting at my desk. And I turned to my wife and I was like, hey, hey, look at this. Like, this is crazy. I didn't even know they do this any, you know. <laughs> and it was, it was, you know, looking back on it, it's, um, you know, it's kind of sad that, that I got excited about it. Because it should be the norm, but it's yeah. not. <clears throat> and so, it, it, you know, as lighthearted as it is, it also is kind of like, man, why are we still, you know, it is 2022 and we're still dealing with this. We shouldn't be, but, but we are. And so, yeah, a hundred percent. When I saw that, I was like, that's where I want to work because at least I know that they have that in mind. If they're willing to stand up and say, Hey, I'm a company that's going to put an LGBT symbol on it or a, you know, a gender identity wording or, you know, what, whatever, specific that it was that made me feel comfortable that to me at least felt you know that doesn't mean every person who works there is going to be accepting but at least I know the business has my back and that absolutely drove me to apply there and ultimately accept the position so 100% that had big played a big part you know what that the OFCCP the Office of Federal Contract Compliance Programs the Department of Labor they would love to hear that because now uh-huh. now um, the gender identity and sexual orientation language is a requirement in the 
what we call the paragraph style tagline, but companies don't yes. have to put that on their on their site or on their jobs. They really just, if they service um, or have qualifying contracts to cover both the VEVRA regulations and the Section 503 for individuals with disabilities, they can literally just uh-huh. put EOE veteran slash disability, and they've got it covered. Yep. So EOE yep. is not very specific, and you would not necessarily you know, incorporate the thoughts about gender identity, sexual orientation, Gina, you know, sure. any, any other protected class into that, right. that acronym. Um, you know, it's, it's interesting. Um, I mean, that, that's an actual perfect example of why the paragraph style is so incredibly important. So I'll have to show you. Oh, a hundred percent. A hundred percent. That drove me. Uh, yeah. I mean, I, literally was excited and then was like, okay, I'm going to apply. And, you know, when I was offered the position, I felt confident going in before I even met one person that I, that I had some level of support, uh, as you know, a marginalized group going in, in a location that I know is not as open uh, to who I am and who I love. So a hundred percent, it made a huge difference. That that's really good news. And I, I, I will definitely share that. <laughs> that really goes a long <laughs> yes. way. So you mentioned when we, when you actually spoke to our team about being involved in an LGBTQ employee resource group, and we have yeah. a lot of employers. We've actually had presentations um, on ERGs and employers that, that are constantly looking you know, about how to grow those ERGs. Can you talk a little bit about your experience um, and your perspective and, and your thoughts on ERGs in general? Absolutely. So I have to say that I never knew about ERGs before I joined uh, Corporate America after law enforcement. Prior to that, I had been in sales type positions, not necessarily like corporate America, and I'm using air quotes here, you can't see them, but, <laughs> but uh, you know, never really in that regard. And so when I joined the company and, you know, during orientation stuff, they started talking about, hey, we have these ERGs. And I'm like, a what? I'm like, that sounds like a military term. Like, what are we talking about? You know, and so after I, after I got you know, schooled on what it was, you, there was all these different groups. And so I ended up joining like the women's network and there was the young professionals. There was a uh, I mean, there was there was a ton. I can't even remember all of them. But the one the one that I became a big part of was out. It was out ERG. And the cool thing was, it didn't mean you had to be a part of the LGBT exactly. plus yep. community. Yep. It just meant you were an ally of there, and that went for any of them, right? You didn't have to be a woman to be in the women's network. You didn't have oh, to yeah. be, uh, you know, uh, a, a young professional to be a young a hundred percent, yeah. And so that was the cool thing, which, again, I had no knowledge of. I didn't understand that. But it spoke to the concept that we don't want to further segregate. The point is, is to bring everybody together. And so, you know, we're not saying that you have to meet a classification to be a part of. We're saying, hey, we're going to bring forth programs and educational opportunities and, uh, you know, fun stuff to do to help shed light on this, you know, group or this topic that we're going to bring. So I got involved with uh, out and became a part of the the board I guess they would they would call it so I was helping to organize events uh, bring speakers in facilitate meetings things of that nature and it was awesome you know it if I could go back a second to when I saw that on the application and it it propelled me to apply then when I found out that there was an 
ERG for LGBT, it further mm-hmm. constituted those feelings. It, it further validated those feelings. I, I like that. Validated. It mm-hmm. validated. It confirmed for me that they stand by it. They didn't just stick that on there for hopes of, well, let's get this group to, you know, these people to, uh, to come apply. No, no. Like they actually truly support, uh, the ability to be who you are, to show up in your authentic self Mm -hmm. every day to work. And that for me kind of brought it full circle, right? When I saw that, I said, wow, this is, they're, they're not just saying, Hey, we want to, we, we will not discriminate against you to come apply here, but we're actually going to shed light on this. <laughs> you oh, know, yeah. most people are trying to turn the light off and here they are putting the spotlight on. And so it was an amazing opportunity to be a part of the ERG. I think that it's something that every job uh, corporation should facilitate. It, the feeling of welcoming and being a part of and having that resource, I, I can't put a... Um, I can't put a dollar sign or a value to it because it truly just goes beyond, you know, anything monetary or anything that would, you know, facilitate that. To me, it was a driving factor in staying there, in um, joining more of the ERGs and wanting to be a mm-hmm. part of, for sure. Absolutely. So, so basically, I can probably narrow it down to determining that your advice to employers that don't currently have ERGs is to get them. <laughs> oh heck yes yes figure yeah. it out get them going a hundred a hundred percent you know i have to tell you i worked for cardinal health and i'm going to call them out because this is a, a positive message about them um they had very I, I mean i could sit there and think and i don't know what company you're even talking about but i just on what you've said i it could be cardinal health because they had the sure. same type of um ERGs, Disability Advocates Network, it's called something different now. And, you know, you could be a part of the, of that particular group or just be an ally, just like you said. Yep. And I was part of that one. I'm a type one diabetic. So I was part of that one. I was part of the Uh veterans one. I was part of the LGBTQ one. Um, And and it was interestingly enough during pride month. And and I know just kind of like black history month, why do you just celebrate it that month? I get that. Sure. But the important thing was that the company would literally excuse everybody from work, like two or 3,000 people, go and stand out at the flagpole, and they would raise the pride flag on the first day of June, and the CEO and all the senior leaders would be there. They would give speeches, and they would have members of the pride um, ERG speak, and, you know, there's a labor dollar cost to that. <sighs> And we would all be standing there and, you know, talk about events coming up or whatever. And, you know, I used to, I, I tell member companies all the time, think about having, or, well, and we would invite news media just to showcase what we were doing. Sure. And I said, and you can count that as outreach in an odd sort of way, because picture yourself. Okay. So Samantha, you're, you're at home that evening and you're going to be looking for a job and you turn the news on just like everybody else at the end of a day and you see Cardinal Health raising the pride flag and their CEO, for goodness sake, talking about how important <laughs> every protected yeah. individual or how every, how, how every individual is important. It doesn't matter what their personal life is. You're, you're I, a part of Cardinal Health, you know, and I, I could tell you my application would be in before I went to bed. Exactly. Exactly. 100%. That would, 
obviously be exactly what you were looking for. And it's very similar to your experience because you would feel that you were going to be a valued addition to their employees, employee work workforce, you know, without a doubt, without a doubt, it it goes so far. And, and I think that when companies are willing to, you know, and I'm sure we'll get to it, but, but my tagline is, you know, being vulnerable equals being courageous equals being heard, right? Having your story heard. And so when companies are willing to be vulnerable, because there's a vulnerability in that, because you have to think there's people who are in opposition of whether it's LGBT or, uh, you know, whatever, right? Fill in the blank with with all the marginalized uh, communities. But there's there's opposition to that. And so when they're they're willing to be vulnerable to say, hey, we stand with, in support of, Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. that to me speaks so much further than, you know, like I said, slapping a little tag on or, or putting a little sticker up or something like that. So yeah, I would be, uh, I'd be applying and not only would I be applying, but I'd be messaging all my friends and telling them, Hey, if you're looking for a job, this is where you need to go. Exactly. Absolutely. Exactly. Absolutely. And I still have lots of friends there and in, in the LGBTQ community and those who are not, and they all still love it, yeah. you know, so it doesn't matter. Yeah, it because just he, doesn't matter. Yeah. Oh, 100%. Even if you don't identify as somebody who's a part of the community, to know that the company is willing to stand with a marginalized group exactly. then helps facilitate that, well, if you identify in any type of marginalized group, that you're going to feel that support. So it goes across the board. It, oh, yeah. It, you know, it's not just specific. And the company wins. In the long run, the company uh-huh. wins. You of know? course. So that's, of course. It's, it's very smart for that company to take that approach. So I, I use them Absolutely. as an example all the time. So I'm very proud to have Absolutely. come from there as a matter of fact. So so let's get into Toastmasters. Um, I I know what it's like, <laughs> and certainly not at your yeah. level, but but you, you have said, and you jokingly have said that doors open for you whether you're ready for them or not. And uh, this sounds like a real true experience for you. So have you always been interested in public speaking? Have you always been good at it? Yeah, so uh, I actually started my my public speaking career, if you want to call it, in high school. So my okay, yeah, yeah, it's like when the it's like when the twelve year old is doing something amazing, and you know somebody asks them, "When did you start?" And they're like, "Oh, when I was one." What? Yeah, yeah, exactly. So uh, I have an I have an older brother. It's just the two of us. He's six years about six years older than me, and he competed in public speaking in high school. And I remember. Uh, hearing him practice his speeches and going and seeing oh, his competitions wow. on Saturdays. And that really lit this fire for me where I was like, oh, ah, that's cool. I want to do that. Plus, you know, my brother was always a, a big role model of mine. So <laughs> it was the cool thing to do. If you, you know, if your brother's doing it, do it. So Is he pretty proud of when you? I got into high school, uh, yeah. Oh gosh. <laughs> oh, that's a whole, we could talk for hours on all of that. Uh, well, we will eventually. But, uh, <laughs> yes. Yes. No doubt. So, so when I got into high school, I joined the what was called speech and debate team or, or forensics, yeah, yeah. and uh, and I got involved with uh, duo interpretation, which was essentially, as it sounds, duo, right? It's two people, and you're essentially just giving an, an act, as I would call it. I mean, it really was like going to a show, and so you would you weren't writing your own speeches. You were rehe- rehearsing and giving a speech that was already written by somebody else out of a book, a play, there's so many different places you could find. But yeah, that's how I started was actually in high school. And then I competed in high school, you know, states and all of that. And I absolutely loved it. It was an amazing opportunity. I just 
I enjoyed it so much and uh, so much so that when I went to college, I actually went back and would volunteer as an assistant coach to my high school team. Oh, wow. And so I paired up with my old coach who coached me and, and would oh, come in nice. and actually assist. So super cool to kind of be on the other end of it and oh, yeah. get to help the, the kids coming through. And, you know, I say kids, I was only a few years older than them, but, uh, but the students coming through and, and they that's so really what. They look so much younger. They look so much younger. They're a few years older. <laughs> yeah. When you, when you graduate, you think you're, you know, one day later and you're like, oh, I'm an adult now. You're a kid. Yeah. That language changed <laughs> exactly. real fast. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> but, uh, but yeah, it was awesome. Awesome experience to be able to go back and coach them. So then it was obviously an easy transition to Toastmasters, right? So did the same company offer Toastmasters and you thought, okay, well, I got to do it. Is that what happened? Or? Well, funny story. I never knew of Toastmasters. I didn't even know Toastmasters existed. I had no idea what it was. And so I was working at uh, the company and a colleague of mine was like, hey, you should come check this out. There's free lunch. And if anybody knows me, I know, free like, lunch, you had me at free lunch. You could have said anything else, but free lunch was it. I was in it. Beeline for that room. And so, uh, unbeknownst to me, it was kind of where uh, Toastmasters would for, do a... You were going to pay oh, for that. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Uh, I was going. Yeah, there was, there was no stopping me. And so, uh, so, I show up in the room, and they did like a, kind of like a, a mock mock-up of a normal meeting just in a shortened version and uh, somebody gave a little table topics and a little bit of this a little bit of that and I was like where has this been all my life how did I not know this existed because I love public speaking you know I call myself like a public a public speaking nerd and so I of course signed up immediately and it's really interesting because I'd love to say that that was you know 10 years ago that was 2018 oh, I only wow. joined Toastmasters in 2018 Oh my god! And I signed up and uh, in Toastmasters, uh, not to go off into this whole big thing, but there's a path. There's pathways, and you choose right. a pathway, and within the pathway, you give these different speeches. And so I gave my uh, icebreaker speech, which is just to kind of, as it sounds, right, to help you kind of break the ice and get comfortable. And I gave my first prepared speech after that, and it was the last call, except okay. it wasn't. It wasn't in its, you know, cleaned up version that I competed with, but it was a version of the last call. And after I gave the speech, that same friend, uh, colleague of mine who introduced me to Toastmasters came up to me. Uh, she was crying after the speech and yeah. she said to me, you have to, you have to compete with this speech. And I looked at her like she was crazy because I said, while I feel comfortable in this environment within the corporate Toastmasters club that is the corporation that accepts and you know, all of these things that we talked about, there's no way that I'm bringing this forth because I'm going to face discrimination and I'm going to face those, those issues that I don't want to deal with. And she said, no, you have to. And I kind of put it to the side and said, yeah, yeah, yeah. And went on. Right. And I gave a few more speeches and fast forward, I ended up leaving that job and took on another position. And when I did, I had to find a new Toastmasters club because you could only be a part of that if you were a part of the, the, of the, the job, the corporation. Right. Right. Yeah. Correct. So I joined a local club that was not attached to a company okay. and I gave okay. this speech again. I gave the last call and this same situation happened. They were like, you got to give this speech. So fast forward to last year at the start of the competition, I had just joined 
them. I had taken a break from Toastmasters while I was, you know, figuring things out. And I had just joined and they said, hey, we have our competition. Do you want to give a speech? And uh, I was like, okay, I'll, I'll yeah, because they were like, you know, you know that speech you gave, you should try that. I'm like, okay. Wow. And I did. And that propelled where I am today, truly just from that moment of that friend saying, hey, you need to give this speech in competition. So, yeah, so my Toastmasters journey really hasn't been that long. Uh, truly, That's you know, I, 2018. Yeah, absolutely. We're now going to play Samantha's Toastmasters speech, The Last Call for You. Listener discretion is advised as the speech contains discussion on topics such as suicide and LGBTQ discrimination that may be considered disturbing or upsetting to some audiences. If you do not wish to hear this segment of the episode, please feel free to fast forward seven minutes. The following is a true story. And I share it with you all because I refuse for this story to be silenced. Unit 2365, please respond to a check on the welfare. Caller advised they have not heard from their boyfriend in some time and they received some concerning messages. Unit 2365, I'm en route. It was just another day on the job. But you see, today was going to be different. Just two short weeks prior, I was sitting in the chief's office signing my resignation letter. I had fallen in love. There were just two small hurdles to overcome. One, I had to move halfway across the country to be with the person I fell in love with. And two, the person I fell in love with was another woman. You see, this meant I had to come out to my family and tell them something I had known about myself for quite some time. Now, I'm grateful to say, after the shock factor wore off, my family was very accepting. Unfortunately, for my then-girlfriend, now-wife, she faced a very different scenario. Her father, upon hearing the news that she was with me, another woman, sent her a text message that would shatter her world and enrage me. That text message read, If we were back in Russia, I would chop you up and feed you to the pigs. Unit 2365, I'm unseen. My partner and I arrived to a three-story complex and we were immediately met by the caller who was a bit frantic, explaining they hadn't heard from their boyfriend in some time. A neighbor stepped out who actually knew the caller, so they went ahead to sit with them while we went forward to investigate. As we arrived at the door, we looked around, but we couldn't really see anything. We knocked loudly, but there was no answer. Based on the situation, we were given permission to go ahead and make entry. I positioned myself in front of the door as I drew my service weapon and I dropped my shoulder, busting and yelling, police, police. I was immediately looking in a living room. While my partner advanced forward, I turned once behind him and once again, as I was staring down the hallway, I heard the sound click. Now in law enforcement, that's a good sound. It means my partner holstered his weapon. There was no longer a threat. So I went ahead and holstered my own. I was about to exit out of the apartment when I heard him say, hey, come in here. I took a few steps forward and I found myself in the doorway of the master bedroom. Now it was dark, but there was just enough light peeking through the blinds when I saw the body. A young man was laying in the bed. He had a bag 
over his head with duct tape around the bag and a tube slithered underneath the duct tape. That tube was connected to a tank on the ground. That young man was deceased by suicide. Unit 2365, go ahead and roll medics to my location. We have an apparent suicide. Had been a cop for about four years at this time, and I'm grateful to say had never actually found someone deceased on a suicide call. But this was a crime scene, so as I began to exit out, I found myself back in that living room, and a piece of paper caught my eye. I went over to the coffee table, and I began to read what appeared to be a suicide note. See, this young man described how life in general was just stressful. Everything from work and friends and family. And then it hit me. You see that caller? That frantic caller who was so concerned about their boyfriend? Was a man. And this young man went on to write that he ultimately took his life for being rejected because he's gay. Could have easily been my wife writing that letter simply for living authentically and loving me. You know, my wife and I, we faced many moments of discrimination over the years. Everything from verbal arguments and awkward stares to even the need for a protective order for the safety of ourselves and our children. And it is 2021, and we have come a long way since the Stonewall Riots in 1969, but we have a long way to go. You know, we share three beautiful children together. Our 11-year-old son, he described to me one day as I stood there at the bus stop proudly that he got into a verbal argument with another student. You see, this student told him that that couldn't be me, his mother, standing there. No, no. That must have been his father, maybe his brother, an uncle or a friend, or simply just any other man. All because I have short hair. Our 17-year-old son, he should never be concerned about going to high school and facing a bully just because he's proud to be a young gay teenager. No person. No person should ever face judgment or ridicule for who they love or how they identify. So I stand here. I stand here in vulnerability and I stand here in courage. And I implore you all to push past the hate, let go of the judgments and simply just love one another because someone's life depends on it. You see that young man? That young man who laid in that bed with that bag over his head and the tape around his neck? His life depended on it. My own wife. My own wife whose father sent her a text message and said he'd rather see her chopped up and fed to the pigs. Her life depends on it. And it could be anyone. Your own mother, father, brother, sister, friend, colleague, or even your own child whose life depends on it. Unit 2365, I'll be 10-7 for the last time. You know, you, you obviously included, 
you know, your, your very personal story about you have mental health issues in there, you know, your experience as an officer, you know, the, the LGBTQ community issues. Um, mm-hmm. And it was I, very heart-wrenching heart wrenching, I can yep. speak. Um, and it was, you know, one of those things that I just sat there kind of with my mouth open. I've watched it a few times and uh-huh. you just sit there and you think, wow, how number one, you kind of look at, obviously I didn't know you personally at the time, you know, I, you sit sure. there and watch it and you think, wow, she's pretty strong, you know, but, but you look pretty uh-huh. petite <laughs> and then, <laughs> and, 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 and then, you know, think about the difficulties that you had to face and the comments to your wife um, by her father uh, that talk about heart wrenching. That's what just kind of yeah. grates on your stomach, you know. And and so yeah. it, it I, I think when it's a personal story, it's probably easier, but it's also a lot more difficult because it's a personal story, yeah. you know. So I'll, anyway, I'll say when I got when I got to the point of giving that speech, um, when I started in the competition with it, I. I actually didn't get through the entire speech. So I can recall when I started practicing it and I really started fine tuning it and made it what you know it to be today. Uh, I would only get to certain points and then I would break and I would have to take, take an emotional kind of pause. Um, and really it took, it took quite, (laughs) quite a few times of just rehearsing to get to the point where I could, inflict the emotion that was coming through. I wanted, I wanted people to go on the journey with me, to be present with me in those moments, um, to be vulnerable with me and feel it. But I had to do it in a way where I could still control my emotions yeah. because I, I promise you, I would, I would just bust out crying, you know, as oh, it was sure. so intertwined, you know, and what most people don't know, the part of this is that, uh, the last call, the, the call that I went on was truly my last call at that department before I moved. I had just come out to my family two weeks before and I had to, after, and thankfully my family was very accepting, but after the call, you know, somebody has to stay on scene as a crime scene until everything is wrapped up without giving too much, uh, you know, away. Mm -hmm. But I had to sit there and I can remember texting my then girlfriend, now wife and saying like I don't know how to process this I don't know how to deal with what I just read what I just saw what I just witnessed because we're going through it in this moment and so it it hit it hit on so many emotions into so many levels and you know I'm I'll tell you that looking back on the last year going through the competition and everything that I experienced I wouldn't change it for the world um, you know, as you said, I made it to the semifinal round, which was uh, the top 28 speakers. But we always knew there was possi- a possibility that I would hit that wall where they couldn't hear my story anymore. Yeah. And when we got to the final to the semifinal round, that's where the judges could be from anywhere in the world. And you know, you and I are wow. both very much so aware <laughs> that there's there's countries that it's still okay to be killed for being gay. It's okay to be stoned in the street. I mean, you know, so here I am speaking as an out lesbian about LGBT looking like I look with short hair and wearing a suit and who knows where the judges were from. And so, um, not, not to, not to go off too far, but I'll, I'll share with you that, 
you know, the day after I gave the speech, I got all this outpouring of support from people all over the world. Truly, people were messaging me. It was insane. I mean, it really just, it was. Oh, goodness. It was, it was absolutely, it was just an outpouring of support. And then it was also a support in a way of you got robbed. (laughs) You should have advanced. Oh, yeah. And, uh, you know, what had happened after that is I actually took a look at the judge's code of conduct for Mm -hmm. Toastmasters organization. And I found on there that they have the information, you know, judges cannot be biased against age, sex, race. Gender, but of course, blah, the two blah, things blah, missing. Blah, blah. Oh, gender identity. There was no gender identity or sexual orientation. It was go. not there. There you go. And so I realized, oh, we have a problem. And so I actually wrote um, headquarters, Toastmasters headquarters. I wrote them an email and explained everything and documented all of this and sent it to them. And they corresponded back with me that they were going to take a look at it. And they just had their meeting in November of last year. And I just found out uh, about a month ago that they adopted the language and have now good. changed it. So forevermore, good, good, good. gender identity and sexual orientation is included in the, uh, you know, the judge's code of conduct uh, for not being able to be biased against. So, again, those are words, right? We know that that doesn't necessarily <laughs> protect us, uh, but at least it's a step in the right direction. So, yeah, that, that language has been adopted on the international level. Well, you know what? And, and that's, that's very, very good because the way I look at it, is that if they would judge against a person, you know, that was in a, a gender identity or a sexual orientation that they disagreed with, then they darn well better have a legally defensible reason for not <laughs> selecting you. You know, it's just kind of the sure. same with hiring. You know, okay, of well, so you don't hire this lesbian because you don't like lesbians, but what uh-huh. about what about her, her experience or her education? You know, it's like you, sure. you you've got to have a legally defensible reason. So good for you. Good. <laughs> that, I mean, that's awesome. And and for those of you who don't realize you and I know we talked you were the top 28, but 40,000 over 40,000 entries. <laughs> and so this is like the Super Bowl of public speaking. You know, I mean, that's that's honestly Samantha, it is just incredible, absolutely incredible. Ugh. So, especially yeah, I still pinch part. myself a little bit. <laughs> <laughs> well, I have to tell you, you should. <laughs> I mean, you are a spectacular <laughs> speaker. You really are. But boy, I'll tell you Thank what, you. Toastmasters is tough. I mean, it is tough now. Oh, absolutely. It's the first time I was in, and I I belonged for a couple of years. So, I mean, it it I I, I did move forward. But boy, when I heard you were twenty eighth, I was like, wow. <laughs> So anyway, anyway, but listen, I can, I can tell just from speaking you to, to you today that, that you're a very passionate person and, and you seem to put your heart in everything you do. It seems like you've, Uh you've had some really tough times and, you know, I, I sit there and I, I think about last call and some of the experiences that you've had are just almost too much for a lot of people. And I think watching the, the young man who ended up committing suicide, um, you know, I, I sit there and I generalize, I know it's inappropriate, but you generalize to how many people that that happens to, you know, because of that of situation. And, and so that's, that's a real um, difficult position for you to be in to have to watch that happen, especially when you're going through some of that yourself, you know, and, and watching what's happening to, to your friends and, and people that are 
important to you, but it seems like you're, you're a real catalyst for change and, and, and you do have a strong voice. I mean, the fact that you were able to write to Toastmasters and, <laughs> and, and get your point across, it's pretty incredible. So um, you've talked about public speaking and it, and it gives you the ability to, to make an impact, you know, all over and to a lot of people. And, and you're in Texas now, but people all over the country are going to hear this podcast. And I know you've done other podcasts yep. as well. So how do you continue to, to, to be such a positive change in your community? Mm. So, yeah, I think, <laughs> I think that for me, when I went through the, the competition last year, it made me realize that, you know, being a former police officer, I'm also now a volunteer firefighter in my community. Yeah. And, you know, we can impact in those positions only so much, right? Only the community we serve. But when I speak and when I can tell the stories, I have the ability to impact anybody who can listen, right? And this goes now on an international level, right? Hundreds of thousands of people have heard the last call because of the stage that Toastmasters provided in the World Championship of Public Speaking. And so when I look at how I continue and where I am today, uh, I've actually uh, just released uh, not mm, about a month ago my first book. Uh, I co-authored, yeah, I co-authored a book with a former sergeant of mine. Uh, the book is called um, Killing Law Enforcement from Within the Ranks. And it's available on Kindle and Amazon and all that. It actually just went best-selling. And so it's, it's a short book. It's an opportunity to give folks an insight to um, within law enforcement, how we're not supporting each other. And obviously, I speak to some of the stories you've heard and that I've shared with you today and, and some others as well. Uh, and I'm in the works of Uh, writing my own book, my own personal story, uh, to continue to be able to tell the story and to be able to continue to be that catalyst, as you said. Uh, I think that, you know, it's not always my story, right? I'm just the the beacon for it, right? My piece, yeah. That's it, right? My wife and what she's gone through, uh, I'm just, I feel honored to have the ability to share some of that because it's an opportunity for others to relate, which is unfortunate, but that's the truth. Um, and also, you know, the ability for others to realize that it's okay. And so I'll give you a brief example. I was keynoting a leadership conference uh, last week, uh, virtually in Canada. Wow. And I always do a question and answer session. I think it's a great opportunity to have interaction and to really allow folks to share. And I had an individual who came onto the uh, the platform to speak and they shared that for the first time publicly they shared that they identified as a trans woman wow and okay. i i stood there in those moments and i was like this is what it's about this is the opportunity that i can provide for somebody to feel safe to be themselves their authentic selves their true selves and the, the topic I spoke on was like leaving your legacy and you know, how do we be vulnerable so we can be courageous and all of these things. And when that individual shared that and, and it, it's not always good, right? I've, I've had during question and answer, I actually had somebody this past week who came on to and decided to tell me that he started quoting Bible verses and oh, telling geez. me that, you know, Adam and Eve and all this. <laughs> and, and, you know, I tell them just like I would tell anybody that you're, you're, safe to share what you feel that's on your heart. And if that's what you feel to share, then I receive it. And I thank you for sharing and we move on, right? We, I'm not against any of that, but, but in those moments when 
I have the opportunity to share and I can hear from the folks. That's really when I realized how impactful being willing to be vulnerable and share my story and the stories that I've experienced and others comes through. So, you know, writing the book and continuing to share those stories is huge. I actually have recently um, been awarded representation by the college agency. It's, it's one of the uh, college agencies in the U.S. that book talent for the colleges. So I now get to go speak to universities oh, on this awesome. and, and speak to our youth uh, and do, uh, you know, uh, keynotes and, and uh, opportunities to speak with these college-age students in regards to diversity and equality and all of these things. And so really that's how I continue um, to spread. And, and that's when I say that doors open even when you're not ready because I promise you that when I gave this speech the first time last year in the competition, I would not have been able to articulate in any way, shape, or form that I'd be sitting here today, that I'd be doing podcasts and being requested as, as a keynote speaker and talking to college students. and, uh, and just, You just thought it was a speech it's, you were it's giving wild. for a competition. That's right? it. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I, thought I, was telling, I thought I was telling my story and hoping that I might <clears throat> impact somebody. And unbeknownst to me, I've, I've had the opportunity to impact uh, across across the world and it's it's truly humbling and it really is well you know what don't sell yourself short you 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 have a a wonderful story but it's a heart-wrenching story but it's one that people need to hear and i think it's stories like that that people really listen to and even if they aren't willing to admit that they really listen they do you know and and i think there's some introspection as a result and they think Oh, wow. Oh, yeah. You know, oh, yeah. I've had lots incredible. of that feedback. <laughs> yeah, I bet. I bet. So, you know, right now, and I, I know you see it all the time, you know, employers are constantly, I mean, I, I did diversity training over 20 years, and we, we did four hours of in-person training to 22,000 employees and an additional four hours of diversity training for all management employees. So a lot of diversity training. And then it kind of died down and then all of a sudden it's, you know, the, the flavor of the month. And unfortunately the yep. tragedies of the last few years have brought that need forward again. And, you know, employer employers are constantly pushing for, you know, diversity and inclusion and belonging and, and, you know, better hiring practices. And, and they're trying to figure out how to best support their LGBTQ employees. You know, some that are open, openly out and some that are not, um, how do you, or what type of advice could you give? I know we talked about your employer and my prior employer, and it's kind of what I tell them is showcase your culture if it's a good one. <laughs> but what other type of yeah. advice you could could you give to employers? Yeah, so I think it's, I, you know, not to go back to that same wording, but it's be willing to be vulnerable. This yeah. is what I tell everybody, whether you're an employer, an employee, you know, we have to be willing to stand in our vulnerability so that people can relate to us. I was just going to say uh, that. And, and, yeah. then, and then, you know, it changes everything. When you're, you know, every time I give this, I would give this speech, I was being vulnerable, right? I was putting a target on my back oh, and, yeah. and continue to, to do so. Uh, and so, but when you're willing to be vulnerable, and especially when an, an employer is willing to stand up and say, you know what, I don't, I don't care that I'm in the middle of Texas. And I don't care that I'm in a small town that, you know, people write uh, racial slurs or uh, slurs against LGBT uh, folks or whatever it might be. I'm going to stand up. And that's your life. And I'm going to make yeah. sure the voice is heard and say, 
we support, we encourage, we love, you know, fill in the blank there, but that we want you as you are. We don't want you to hide who you are. And so I really think that it's through those ERGs, it's through making sure that paragraph is there that we talked about earlier. Mm -hmm. It's getting out into the community. It's being seen in the events. You know, you talked about pride. My former employer would would actually purchase a float for the pride parade and would have shirts made and all of these things. And so, you know, I'm sure some employers go, okay, but there's a lot, right? There's a lot of parades and, and, or different, um, marginalized communities to meet. And my challenge to any employer that said that to me would be, and you should be meeting them all without any questions asked. That should be your priority because if you want to be able to have a diversified group of employees that really come from all walks of life, all backgrounds, which to me would be the ultimate goal, right? Because then you're bringing, you know, that worldly experience that everybody brings forth is what makes a group, right? That's Mm -hmm. what makes your company. And so when you're willing to step out, when you're willing to be vulnerable and to be seen as walking in the parade, you know, or, or out there on the TV station talking about whatever it might be, uh, that's truly where I think that employers need to focus their time on. So that would be my advice is, is okay. be willing to be vulnerable to stand up for those groups. That's good advice. <laughs> so now when I get the question in the future, I'm just going to say, listen to this podcast. <laughs> <laughs> you can have me on, you can have me on speed dial. I'll, okay. I'll get on the phone. Give them, give them my pep talk. <laughs> sounds, sounds good. <laughs> sounds good. So we're getting close to the end. Um, one thing that I've noticed in in just reading about you, talking to you, you know, service in your community is just kind of ingrained in you, um, whether it's yeah. as a former police officer, an activist, a volunteer firefighter, dear God, and I just said, and you're so petite, I, I mean, God help you. <laughs> and, and, and as a wife, as a mom, um, you kind of put your heart and soul into everything that you do. So what yeah. what's what are you working on now that you're passionate about? What's yeah, so I've, I've, I've recently uh, taken over recruiting for my fire department, which is awesome. I get the opportunity oh, wow. to go out and speak to the community and, and recruit other individuals to start their journey of being a first responder, which is super rewarding. You know, it's an opportunity to really get to speak out and tell others about what they can, they can gain, you know, from being able to serve others. So that's, that's been an awesome opportunity. I've been working really hard on my book. Uh, that's taking up a lot of my time, certainly on the back end and getting the opportunity to put those stories down on paper. And uh, hopefully the goal is to get that done by this year. So uh, that one's going to be, like I said, the other book I wrote uh, is a, a short um, uh, co-author uh, opportunity that I had. So this my book's a little bit more in depth and, and certainly develops more. So that's been taking a lot of my focus uh, and really just the opportunity to continue to outreach is really where I'm at. So uh, opportunities like what we're doing right now, getting on your guys' podcast. Uh, I've been on a local TV station recently, uh, keynoting opportunities, going out, talking to the university kids, all of these things. Uh, to me, it's I don't care if the audience is 10 people or 10,000 people um, because every time, every single time I get to share the story, I get at least a few people that reach out to me and say this changed something for them. I actually had, I actually had an individual after my keynote uh, write me and say that prior to hearing my keynote, 
they thought that being an ally was a choice. And they said, after hearing my speech, they realized being an ally is not a choice. It is something that is a must. And so here was somebody who doesn't identify as being a part of the community and thought, well, yeah, I could be an ally or I couldn't. And after hearing the last call and hearing my my speech around that, that is it. There was no choice anymore. And to me, those moments, it's in those moments that I realized this is why I have to keep telling the story. And then that's where my focus is, is to continue to keep speaking and telling and, and, and being able to share with uh, anybody who will listen. Well, I said this to you before, this is an open invitation for you to come to our annual meeting next year. And I'm also thinking we'll, we'll have to stay in touch and, and hear where you are with your book and we'll bring those books and, um, let our employers or our employee or our members, I should say, um, get some of those books. So I, I am so I excited to have you at our annual meeting next year. And um, it will be that much better with you on the agenda. So um, <laughs> I appreciate that. <laughs> I'm, I'm very excited. So we will talk definitely um, about this very soon um, and give you dates yes, and all that yes. stuff. So, um, so I, I was, I was going to ask you for parting advice, but I think you're going to say something about vulnerability and I wholeheartedly agree. <laughs> so I think that's great advice um, for our members to hear and for our listeners to hear, because everybody hears this, not just our members, but um, now I'm going to end on some with, with some fun. Um, not that this, right. I've really enjoyed this, but, but, um, this is, this is for people to, to, uh, learn a little bit more. So we end our, our podcast with, um, kind of on a fun note and we do five rapid fire questions to kind of get to know you on a personal level. All right. So all you have to do is say the first thing that comes to mind. So are you ready? All right, let's do it. Okay. Early riser or night owl? Oh, early riser, 100%. Okay, so am I. All right. What is, <laughs> <laughs> what is your favorite quote? Ooh, so I don't know if it's necessarily a quote. I'll say it's like a saying that I go by, which is uh, the saying goes, uh, worrying is like sitting in a rocking chair. It gives you something to do, but it doesn't get you anywhere. Ooh, I like that. I'm going to have to go write that down. <laughs> I like that. That That's pretty good. Okay. All right. Coffee or tea? Oh, tea. And and my wife, Olga, is jumping for joy hearing that because I'd never <laughs> liked tea before her, and now I can't not drink tea. I drink it all day, every day. So, yeah, tea, 100%. Oh, wow. So you said her name is Olga. Olga, yes. Oh, I love that. I love that. Like the Olympian from way back when. <laughs> yes, yes, <laughs> like yes, that. yes. Was she a, um, was it a gymnast? I think Olga was a gymnast or an ice skater. I'm not sure which. which I don't remember, to be honest. Yeah, you were, you were younger then. (laughs) You were probably (laughs) even born then. (laughs) All right. So I guess I just aged myself pretty well on that one. Um, (laughs) Okay. So name one item from your bucket list. Oh, I'd have to say travel more. Um, I want to see, and and not travel like international. I really want to see the U S on a, on a deeper level and and get to really visit like all the States and my, my bucket, true bucket list. If I could have a speaking opportunity in every state, that would be, (laughs) that would be awesome. So just throw it out there. You know, if anybody's in some state that I haven't visited yet, which there's a lot of them, 
you know, that that would be a part of the bucket list for sure. That that would be pretty cool. Do you know what? Pretty I, cool. Because I, 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 before the pandemic, used to travel a lot. And there's only. I don't know, about seven or eight states I have not been in. But what I would love to do is get on, get an RV and literally drive cross country and not be on any schedule. But just, you know, if I saw a sign, you know, hey, stop in, you know, this colonial style town or stop in this historic village. I would love to just say, let's go stop there. You know, let's go check that out. Let's go see Mount Rushmore. Let's go see Yellowstone or, you know, I, I, that's, that's, that's on my bucket list. Not that anybody cares, but Uh, I'm with you. I'm with you. (laughs) Maybe we're going to do a girl's trip and (laughs) we'll bring old. There you go. Oh, she would love it. She would love it. Let's talk. No. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) So, um, I think I can probably answer this for you too, but who or what inspires you? Oof. Yeah. So, I would say who would be my family, and that's, you know, first and foremost, Olga and the things that she's had to deal with that have truly just propelled me to to speak about it. You know, my kiddos and and being a a positive role model for them and my parents, my brother, I alluded to to that earlier. Mm -hmm. I'd say the what, the what is for the people whose voices are are shut down and they're unable to speak that motivates me that is a driving factor in that there are so many folks who are in a position that's just not safe for them to be vulnerable and share their stories and so being able to share a story that relates to them because unfortunately there just are so many out there uh, is is what really keeps me keeps me going and, and keeps pushing me forward with it that's kind of what I, I, I had part of that, <laughs> but that's, that, that is, is very understandable and, and a lot of what I expected. So that's terrific. So honestly, Samantha, I have, I, I can't tell you, um, this has been so much fun. I could talk to you for hours. Um, it's, it, <laughs> like I really, it's, it's been a pleasure talking with you and hearing your story and, you know, getting some guidance on how employers can support their LGBTQ employees. Um, if our listeners would like to connect with you, and this happens a lot, so what's the best way to get in touch? Absolutely. So I would uh, tell folks to visit my website, which is www.samanthasmithofficial.com. And in, in, on the website is all of my contact information. All of my social media plugs are attached directly to my website. So I'm on Instagram, I'm on Facebook, I'm on Twitter. So all of that will directly link them to my website. Also, if anybody wants to reach out uh, one-on-one to me, they can feel free to email me. And the email is speak at samanthasmithofficial.com. And I welcome everybody to reach out. I love to hear from folks, whether it's just, uh, hey, really enjoyed, or hey, I'm actually in opposition of what you said. I, <laughs> I, I truly I truly have an open door policy in that regard that I love to hear from everybody. So uh, please you know, feel free to reach out. But yeah, the website is the easiest way just because it has uh, all the links to my social media accounts directly from there. So anyway, Sam, thank you so very much for your time today. This has been wonderful. Really Truly my pleasure. My pleasure. Thank you for having me. Thank you for tuning in for another episode of the DE Talk podcast. Stay connected with direct employers on Facebook, 
Twitter, and LinkedIn, and subscribe to our emails by visiting directemployers.org slash subscribe to receive notifications of new episodes each month.